Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 212 and this episode is with the co-founder of Tennis Supermovers and head of S&C at Bolton Arena, Howard Green. Now I say at the start of the episode with Howard, I'm really keen to get coaches on working with different athletes in different sports because it's something we've talked about a lot on the podcast before that we can learn a lot from different approaches players and, and athletes under different demands and how coaches go about preparing for that as well. And that is exactly why I wanted to get Howard on the podcast. We talk about his background, we go into his philosophy, we go into the Superheroes program, but I think some of the real value in this podcast is when we go into some troubleshooting around movement solutions. So I, I put some challenges to him that a lot of coaches would face with their players within a squad, a football squad, and Howard talks through his his processes around how he would deal with that and relates it to what he does with some of his tennis players. And I think there's some absolute gold in that part of the podcast when he starts discussing it. So that that is the second part of the podcast. And there's absolutely loads of great information in this one. So I hope you enjoy the episode with Howard. I hope also that the little slip of the tongue um, goes by without anyone really noticing at the start because I do call it episode 112 and it's obviously episode 212 and um, I'm 100 episodes behind apparently but yeah I hope you enjoyed this episode with Howard Green just before we get into the episode thank you to everybody that came out to our recent events we had our event at West Brom we also had events at Bolton Wanderers and at Rotherham United some brilliant presentations at those events which are all now available to watch back on our online community so members of the community make sure you log on go to the network meetings presentations tab you can find all the presentations there there's also a bonus Q&A from our West Brom event where Tony Strudwick, Tom Page and Matt Bickley answer some questions at the end of that event as well so that is in the video section of the community too just before we get into it, massive thank you to our sponsors. First of all, Hydro Training. Have you ever tried blood flow restriction for recovery? Hydro developed the world's first BFR wearable, unlocking the recovery benefits of BFR to support athletes. BFR is no longer just for one-to-one -one physio or rehab. Hydro allows teams to use this safe and scalable sports BFR device post-exercise to dramatically enhance recovery. Whether in the change room post-game or during away game travel in the hotel or at home, Hytro has created a simple and effective tool that allows BFR to be delivered to athletes and squads simultaneously, safely and more conveniently than ever before. So you can check them out at hytro.com, which is H-Y-T-R-O.com or email Warren, that's Warren Bradley, at Warren at hydro.com to find out how Hydro BFR can give your athletes a competitive edge. And last but not least, a huge thank you to Rezil as well. Rezil have got some great work going on at the minute and into next year as well. So make sure you go and check them out and enjoy episode 212 with Howard Green. 
Rezel is the world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Whatever your team, your sport, your ability, improve your game and train like a pro. Rezzle, Rezzle. Reactions, performance, accuracy, stamina, resilience. Train at home in the Rezzle Sports and Fitness VR Training Arena. Search Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. Harder, stronger, smarter. The world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Available now on MetaQuest. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 112, a very special episode, not only because this is the first in-person podcast that I've done for quite a while, but also I'm joined on the podcast today by Howard Green. Howard's the head of SNC here at Bolton Arena, also co-founder of Tennis Supermovers. So Howard, thank you for coming on the thank podcast. Thank you very much for having me. No, it's great to have you on. I've, I've said a lot on previous episodes that I love tapping into different sports, seeing how different coaches prepare for different demands, and I think it's perfect to sort of tap into that with yourself um, today and some of the athletes that you're working with. But we'll start the podcast in the same way that we normally do, and that's around your background and career. Yeah. So can, I've just mentioned what you're doing at the moment, but can yeah. you take us back and give us a bit of a journey? Yes, in terms of journey, school, very, very late mature, so yeah, played some sports, a bit of school sport and a bit of rugby, but never really excelled because I mean in fifth year I look like 12 so very limited so in terms of that never really any kind of in-depth sporting experience which used to be a bit of a hang-up because if you listen to any podcast SNC they're all like failed athletes or injured athletes so for a long time I thought I didn't have that experience but actually in 2001 I joined the Royal Marines yeah um so I joined at a time when nothing was really happening it's pretty quiet just the other night island tour and then midway through training 9-11 happened mm. I've still got the newspaper at home saying we're going to war so it's kind of a nice one so that led to invasion of iraq tour the following year six months in iraq and then also a tour of afghanistan um three explosive incidents in afghanistan kind of sealed the deal and i thought yeah i've done done my bit now and, and, and came out took a bit of time out did a bit of, like living away in spain that didn't really work out as much uh came back and then went back into education, I was in 26. So came back from Spain, met some friends, they were doing like a sports science degree. Yeah. And I thought, having been out of schooling for 10 years, I was like, okay, that might be a bit too much of a jump. I had a little look and then found a sports coaching foundation degree at Runshaw College with Damien Harper. Yeah. So they used my experience in the Marines to kind of bypass not doing A-levels. So I went on to the sports coaching degree in that time, I had to do loads of volunteering. Part of that I did, I joined the little rug, rugby team, Charlie Pampers, was extensively coaching down there, and then that was the path I was going to go into. Um, but during that time, in terms of like advice for people who are, who are studying, like I literally volunteered my ass off. Like from day one, I, I, vol I would volunteer anywhere and everywhere. Um, it got to the stage where I was like, I was coming here to work for free, run out of money, I had to turn up at the train station with a bag of change to get out of the chain and when that went out I had to start biking it but it, it, it put me in good stead because when I was doing my assignments for university I was actually doing it on topics that was going here so like I ended up with several roles here I was like ended up with some part-time work within the tennis program I worked on the sports education worked with groups with Parkinson's and things like that so when I did a module on special populations I did it very specifically on what I was doing so I think that really vast experience of working with tennis athletes, with people with Parkinson's, with kids with hearing difficulties, really laid the foundation of a real kind of 
probably a quick learning curve because I was exposed to all these different things. Um, towards, uh, so it's a two-year foundation degree and you go on to a third-year honours. Yeah. So just before that started, the head of tennis here was like, look, there's a full-time job if you want it. So that third year basically tailored everything towards high-performance training, high-performance conditioning. Every assignment I tweaked towards tennis. So when I came out the other end, I felt kind of ready to do. Yeah. But that was off the back of a sports coaching degree. So was I prepared for going in the gym? No. So I put myself through a PT level three um, and then quickly did my UKSA accreditation as well. And it was very much like a, a big thing on, not badges, but like I would never have explained to somebody I was an SNC coach until I got that accreditation. I think it was quite big for me in terms of probably being in the Marines and having that as a big part of my identity. Um, but it, you know, looking back on it all, it was that, that start in the Marines that probably was the start of high performance. And yeah, I had to train to extreme level physically as well as mentally. And, and that probably put, put me in good stead. It took me a very long time to get to the point where I can use it. Mm -hmm. So like one of my mentors, he's been trying to drag out with me for forever. Um, and I think probably the key thing that we can take from the military into sport is, is the concept of rehearsal. Mm -hmm. um, how, how much does your training both in, in my world in the gym on the side of the court and on the court actually prepare for battle which is match day yeah and then that's like technically tactically physically mentally so obviously we were drilled to death that when it kicked off we knew what to do we you know we we, we kind of rehearsed and planned and, and used no ammunition blank ammunition live ammunition so that day when the bullets started coming back the lads that had never been away before just just kicked into action and it's just do we do that enough in sports? Are players exposed to the stresses physically and mentally that when it comes about on match day, are they actually ready? And I think if we look and, and delve into it, probably most of the time, possibly not. Yeah, I think that rings true because uh, I don't know if you've seen the um, recent documentary about Arsenal, but then you see like Arteta trying to replicate away at Liverpool and Obviously, there's a lot of different, I'm talking football now, but in sport in general, I know you're working with tennis players at, at the top level, but when you're preparing for that top, top level, it's not just the physical, is it, that we're preparing for? There's a hell of a lot more that goes into it. So I really, that's fascinating that about in terms of preparation. And I suppose it should open people's minds on how we actually go about that and what we can impact. Yeah, it's just like creating those environments and exposing them to different experiences. So like we've done pressure training where it's like two players a match play and they've got half a team then half team this team's cheering that player that cheering that player yeah so try and recreate a bit of pressure that they might be exposed to over the weekend but yeah i think we've got to try and examine our practice both as physical trainers and, and technical coaches of like are we actually truly preparing them something that happens a lot in tennis is, is one minute drills mm -hmm. that, that doesn't happen in a match yeah. ever um yeah a lot of training and, and a lot of the training reasonably was done around these drills that would last a minute and you'd rock, uh, record your score and it doesn't reflect the demands of the sport so no. you've got to try and make sure there's, there's a time and place for certain things and as long as you can back it up as to why you're doing it I think that's fine but at the same time so again if we look in a traditional academy setting for tennis then you're likely going to see four on a court so therefore, are those players being exposed to the cr critical movements or the critical demands of actually covering the full court? Yeah. No. Yeah. So we're quite lucky here that we try and create those situations where we've got really low player to um, court ratios, 
so they do actually get exposed to what they'll get exposed to in a match day. So it's just little things like that that you've got to ensure they are getting ex experience um, in, in the demands and, and what they'll need in the heat of battle, really. Yeah, that cross is all really nice as well. It's the sort of pitch size and uh, everything we talk about in football, it seems, it seems very, very similar. I've, I've spoke before, I've sort of breezed past it in terms of your role. Can you give a bit of a summary in terms of like your day-to-day -day and who you're working with now? Yeah, so in terms of like, the titles, I'm head of S&C. Uh, it's not a massive team, it's me and Jack. Um, and then I've also got the role of um, under 10 programme manager. So on the tennis side, I just kind of help out with the structure and accountability processes, philosophy, we just put stuff in place to make sure everything's kind of being delivered right and planned right. Um, day to day, uh, it's, it's going to be a mixture of meetings with tennis coaches um, in terms of talking about players, how they've gotten in tournaments. It's going to look like one to one sessions. So it's not maybe not as. as Definitely not going to happen in clubs as much, but I yeah. guess they're in the gym and they're going to train as groups. Uh, we know that players do have one-to-one -one sessions with, with SNCs in the club and outside of the club, but we do a lot because they have one-to-one -one tennis. It's not a great stretch for them to do a one-to-one SNC. So a lot of individual sessions during the day and then as it gets later in the afternoon, it's mainly squads. Um, and what we've done, we attach an SNC session to every single squad ranging from the players that are six and seven, they do mm. 30 minutes twice a week, all the way through um, the evening camis of all, oh, they keep uh, the evening squads all have an hour attached and that yeah. happen either before or after two hours of tennis. Okay. It's quite brutal. And we don't, if it's before, we don't like hold back and if it's after, we don't hold back. So they're, they're, they're pretty resilient actually. Mm. So they're, they're getting exposed to three hours of stress two and three times a week. And then we go all the way up to our full-time academy. There's the guys that are like 16 plus who will be out on the ITF circuit and usually kind of doing education remotely. So we span, we call it tots to tours. So it's kind of starting at six all the way through. And then I've got a senior player who's looking to transition and break through into the pro game. And then I, I do do a little bit with um, Heather Watson a little bit. Yeah. She's a, a, a full-time pro. Brilliant. And where does the super movers come in? Um, so, it kind of got forced upon me a little bit from Simon Brundish. So, like, I don't, if, if you see my Instagram or listen to me, I'm quite a creative person. Um, I've got bipolar and it's kind of, like Kanye says, it's my superpower, <laughs> but it's also, it's also my kryptonite. But it's like, so I've got this really creative mind and the super movers program is what it's, it's made me do is, is, is condense it and make it kind of systematic and, and more of a curriculum. So it's built off the back of Simon's um, Strength Lab Superheroes. So the superheroes creates the kind of strength stream. So we, in the military, we love a mnemonic. So the mnemonic is SMASH. Um, so it's strength, movement, agility, stability, and holding coordination skills. And we, we're effectively, the, the way we've built it is around the demands of the sport mm. and the movement demands. So we have different levels. So there's like eight foundational levels. Within each level, there's a forward and back, side to side, and multi-directional lesson. And then within each lesson, you have the smash curriculum. So it's quite expansive, Yeah. but at the same time, it's quite systematic in nature. It's a progressive curriculum. You, you only advance as you um, earn the right to. And it's an online program. Uh, and what I've done, 
guess that's a little bit of a USP, the way I've tried to video it is as if we're on a Zoom session together. Yeah. So I'll video in a fashion where I'm explaining, introducing, demonstrating every exercise, and then we do the reps. Mm. Um, and then over time you, you do away with the excessive demos and then it's a bit quicker. And then there's like a little 10 minute video as well. But its main role really is, is to remove barriers of access to world-class tennis SNC. Um, remove barriers that the movement isn't the reason they drop out of the sport yeah so like you have your different size pitches we have different size courts and the smallest size court's pretty much like a badminton court and you just you can get away with pretty shocking movement mm -hmm. then it moves up to a full size court but we have lines so it's reduced but it's a big jump yeah then it jumps again to a full size court each time with a low compression ball so you you're playing on a full size court age 10 so you can kind of be this big and struggling to sit up to over the net and the ball's like 75% compression of a full ball. So the movement demands quickly grow from like six and seven through to 10. Yeah. So what I see is a lot of work done to help them transition technically, different size racket, this size ball is like core, but then is enough being done to prepare them physically for the movement demands? Because the core, I, I got, it grows massive, it was you and I, it would be like a quarter and a half of the time we'd jump from red to, to green. Mm. So can we get players doing relevant, tennis relevant physical work to help performance reduce the risk of injury and but remove the fact that movement is often the reason players drop out. So they've got they can have amazing technique statically, but if we can't get behind the ball or we can't hit the ball on the move, then when it comes to a match, it drops you know 22 bang average tennis footballers can have an half decent match yeah two average tennis players it's not that much fun the ball's going in the net it's going on the back fence so movement demands are, are really really important i think you'll see and hear a lot of crossovers mm -hmm. the way you're talking about poor poor movement and stuff we hear it all the time in football that that player doesn't move well and it's not really subjective um sorry it's not really objective it's very subjective a lot of the time from a coach's opinion well, that's why I wanted to get you on because I think it's fascinating tapping into not only someone from a different sport, preparing athletes with different demands, but also your creativity. And I know um, I've followed a lot of the work that you've put out with the programme and, and with the stuff you do in tennis. And I think it's in a, in a little bit, we're going to work through some kind of like case studies. And I know it's very hard with that, having an athlete in front of you and all the rest of it, but just to tap into your mindset and, yeah. and how you approach some of these problems. And I think it would, it will help a lot of the listeners and, and viewers um, around how you tend to tackle things like that. Um, I'm always wary asking this question because I think it's quite hard, but I wanted to ask about your philosophy. Yeah. Um, and how you'd like summarize it and what it's been built from. There's obviously your time in the Marines, there's yeah. obviously your experience here, but how would you sort of summarize your philosophy and approach? So at the minute, I've got it down to like six. Six okay. elements. So I like I've been lucky, I've been involved with like some courses to do with the LTA. We had like a leadership course, so we've kind of asked to, to, to think about these sort of things. I've done been mentored and done mentoring. I think actually like sitting down and working out what kind of your, your principles and your philosophy is, mm -hmm. is it, it, it can really open the doors and it, it can always change, but it should be probably tweaked rather than just kind of overhauled. So first one is balance of variation and intent. So if we're trying to, what are the two aspects, like or two, the two ends of the spectrum. So like tennis is a massively open skilled sport as is football. So therefore 
what we need to do with S&Cs is quite difficult to pinpoint. Whereas, say, if you work with cycling or rowing, it's very obvious. And yeah. therefore, I'd find that really, really boring. Yeah. Because um, it'd just be very clear what you need to do day in, day out. There's certain things you'd have to think about. I remember, basically, Martin, the S&C, was told to give Vicky the biggest pods and glutes she'd ever had and she was going to win gold. And that they did it and they even built machines to help her achieve that. So that I, I just couldn't stand that. So yeah. I, I think over the years, because I came into it with no experience in tennis, um, and no real, I wasn't, I wasn't an S&C, like, I just kind of gravitated toward it. I was always like panicking that I didn't know what I was doing, but in my head I was like, right, well you don't panic when you're in reception at primary school. I'm just going to approach this as if I'm just going through school and over time, then I'll become more knowledgeable and more kind of competent in what I'm doing. So now I'm like 11 years deep, I think, okay, well I'm like in year 11, I'm doing my GCSEs. And I think I've become a much more traditional S&C coach. Mm. And I think a lot of it's driven by environment. So for a long time, on the side of the court, I had a Asda trolley full of med balls and then a smaller Asda trolley with some adjustable dumbbells. Yeah. So that very much drove my programming and the, the sessions I delivered because that's all I had. Been very fortunate now they've invested and we've got like a two room gym now. My experience has grown. So I'd, I'd say our program is the most S&C it's ever been in terms of lifting. Um, in terms of plyometrics, but mainly mainly the resistance work, mm. we're probably doing the most resistance work we've ever done. So that's your intent, making sure you're doing that, making sure you're getting right volumes of your plyos and your change of direction and your speed work. But then your variation is all your coordination stuff. Um, and if you were to watch a typical session, that's going to look probably from the start, we're going to do our mobility work, we're going to do some we'll do a warm up, and then we'll do our plyos, we'll do our movement, and that'll probably take about 30 minutes. Mm and then the next 30 minutes are in the gym but in that kind of variation space is you know if we just look at coordination only which is something i've like looked into another mnemonic rv radio uh there's reactions there's balance there's rhythm uh, adaptability differentiation interoperability and orientation i think if you, if you look at the athletic skills model they've got a lot of that stuff in there if you want to look at what some of those are yeah but that opens loads of doors of of, of what we can do um but then you can go down that rabbit hole too much as well and you can look at the, in the past you might look up at the clock and you've done 45 minutes of 15 minutes could have been fluff yeah so it's that not being too square dick but at the same time you're not a surface trainer mm. and it's just finding that middle ground to ensure somebody challenge at the end of the session, what do you think you've achieved their probably skill and what have you achieved physiologically? Okay, I can probably go right, that's what we went after and that's what we went after. So that's probably where I'm at now. Yeah. Um, next one, it's not just for kids, it's it's all athletes, the uh, chocolate covered broccoli. Um, I think I've stolen that from a guy Mike Barrel. Darren Roberts talked about hiding the broccoli, but ultimately if we take a situation where you give a small kid a balloon, tell him to hit it up in the air, touch the floor and then hit the balloon up again with disguise in a squat pattern. Yeah. So how can we be smart and, and sneak stuff in uh, without overcoaching? Because there was a time I was doing some work around at my friend's house. Um, my little godson said, what are you up to? And I've got all these like functional training for sports, but all this going anyway, just opened it up and just starts knocking out like lunges and squats and he's never done them before in his life just took a step back and it's like how much we overcoach athletes he literally looked at three images and we're just knocking the movements out so that's 
that's important as well that we 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 don't overcoach. So that's probably that's the the next one. How can we disguise the work with the youngest ones? But at the same time, with even with your pro athletes, you can sneak sneak stuff in. But with games, with chaos, with mm. with tag games and all that sort of stuff. So it, it it goes all the way from like using balloons to hide squats to you know disguising reactive agility training with with games with with athletes. And I use a lot of races where you've got to collect this size cone and this and this and this and do different tasks. So therefore you've got You've got speed, you've got quickness, you've got agility, but you've got accuracy as well, which is really yeah. important for our guys. Uh, next one would be like asking the same question, but I've had the opportunity to have multiple answers. So, you know, it, it might be a player that needs to work on their forehand. Well, there's a lot of different ways we could go about that. They could, they could actually shadow the forehand, we could use a med ball, they could use a cable. Um, and it's just, I, I try and look at it as like, how can I flood the system? With all these different things but actually the answer's very similar so it's not fluff because at the end of each sentence or any, every drill it's that again and it's yeah. that again and it's that again and I think that makes it more interesting for the athlete as well um, next probably filtered into everything is like the why and that's something Darren hammered into me was like probably five times you need to answer why you're doing that why but why that drill why that drill today why mm. that drill with this you know this part of, of the training periodization why precisely that so somebody should be able to really pick at you and you not get defensive or panic or I mean, just be very very clear why you chose that drill because it fits into this day this week this month this phase so that i think that's super important yeah it's great um plan. thinking about ripping off liver king and bringing in context is king. Um, <laughs> I don't think taking me top off of social media is gonna be the right thing. I don't think the missus will be happy with that, but uh, I've got to think of some way to rip him off. So that kind of comes from, so like I put a lot of stuff out on Instagram and a lot of people do, a lot of really good stuff, but the situation is, okay, I'm only half an hour. I'm gonna have a coffee, let's have a little flick through. Oh, that looks good but you don't really know the context of the drill. Mm. So he's then not for five times, what's the why? Yeah. He's not for what are the regressions? What are the progressions? Charlie Weingraff lateralization, which is similar, but he then implements the drill in his warm up. He finds it too easy, he finds it too hard, it's chaos. Does he make the call to like can it and, and, and feel like he looks like a fool or does he persevere and waste 20 minutes so it's just ensuring like that context and why come together and you know, again you're very clear on what you're doing yeah. um again especially when you've got in this coordination route like yeah it doesn't want to be just juggling for juggling sake there's, there's got to be that that context behind it and then back to some broccoli um what's inside the broccoli like what are the supporting elements so if that's the overall you know, a change of direction. Well, there's there's plenty of things going on. We've got our acceleration, we've got our deceleration, we've got the cut. There's lots of pieces. So we'll come to it in a minute. I'm sure with the movement stuff. Like, oh, it doesn't move well. Okay, which which part? Which part? Mm. What do you mean? There's more. There's not one part. Movement is just isn't one thing. And in tennis, there's several things that are going on at once. Which one is the issue? So can you break it down? Can you make it simple? That kind of Einstein. You can't make it simple. You don't understand it yourself. So, at the minute, that's that's where we're at with, Man, the, uh, with the philosophy. I love the broccoli, <laughs> <laughs> and we'll be waiting for them t-shirts to come out. Yeah, well. um, no, I think that's great. I think that the why 
um, the, the facts around why are really important, aren't they? Because like, as a coach at any level, and I think for young coaches in particular, having that in the back of your mind, I always used to do it when I was, I probably still do it now, I always imagine someone walking in and saying, why are you doing that right now? Whether it's part of your warm-up, like whether it's a mobility drill, whether it's a certain element of strength or a certain explosive movement or something, if you're constantly thinking that someone's gonna question it, you kind of question it yourself before it happens. So I think that's a great point for, for coaches at all different levels. I think there's a Bruce Lee quote. Like when I started, I just thought a punch was a punch and a kick was a kick. Then I learned that I didn't, you know, there's all these different elements, but then I came back, a punch is just a punch, a kick is just a kick. You kind of, that's kind of your Dunning-Kruger, and it? it's like, yeah. you start, then you make it overly complex, and then you come back to simplicity, and that's where, you know, I'm going off a bit of a tangent, but like that youth physical development model, you know, that youngest age, we look at structure, low structure, mm -hmm. that doesn't mean no structure. Yeah. It's hide the broccoli. Yeah. It's... It just like in a, you know, a, a football team or a football club, you know, the dad coaches or this coach coaches this team and he just follows them through. Mm. Whereas you need your most experienced coaches at that younger stage because yeah. you've got to hide the work. And that's what's happening here is we've got every single one of our senior coaches has dropped down into the under 10 space. Yeah. So I think that's the, the, the key thing. It's like, you know, looking at a bear crawl. Oh, it works on this around the shoulders and protraction and retraction and you start talking about that and the athlete's just looking at it like that mm -hmm. like what and you go mm -hmm. yeah just bear crawl and let you push the ground away so yeah. i think it's, you've got you i think you have to go through that you've got to go oh, that's dead easy or it's massively complex and then you come back to oh no it's quite simple but you've got the complexity in the back of the head but it's simplicity that comes out the mouth i, I fully agree with that having a lot of chats with people around that about because the, the, the thing with football and i know it's the same in a lot of the other sports is that like you just mentioned People think that you start out at academy level when you you early on in your career you get experience you end up at first team, but we talk a lot that at first team a lot of it is playing recovery and playing recovery and we're not we're not really developing as much at that level and like you just mentioned those key ages earlier on that's where you've got to be creative isn't it that's where you've got to really make that impact and it's so so important which is why I fully agree with you that like the, the best coaches really should be at that level. But I, I do think as well, there's, there's different attributes of coaches suited to both. Mm. So you'll speak to some people that are, um, I mean, you've mentioned a few already, that amazing with youth athletes, and in a way will be wasted if they go to like a first team level, because mm. it's like you're making such yeah. a good impact down here. Like you could still make an impact there, but we need you down here. But then others I know that are more suited to, to working on that play recover and, yeah. and less of more of the performance focus rather than development. There are six brand new presentations to go and check out on our online community from our recent networking events, including a presentation by a head of, head of medical at West Brom, Tony Strudwick, he presented on the evolution of science in football. There's also other presentations like um, Dr. John McMahon presented on using force plates to facilitate training decisions in professional soccer. And John actually presented some research that hasn't been seen yet. So you can be one of the first coaches to look into that research that John presented at the event as well. You can get access to those plus many others and also a bonus Q&A including Tony Strudwick, Tom Page and Matt Bickley from our event at West Brom. 
by going to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab, sign yourself up there. You'll get one month free on the community so you can see what it's all about. After that free month, it's only £4.99 per month going forward. You'll get continued access from everything that's on there. You also get access to our members' WhatsApp group and all future presentations and some upcoming webinars as well that we've got lined up for the next few weeks and months so come and join us over on the community footballfitfed.com click the community tab and sign up there part two of the podcast with howard we start to delve into some of the troubleshooting i mentioned at the start of the podcast so hope you enjoy part two with howard green i wanted to get into some of this because i was really keen to do some sort of troubleshooting yeah with you and like I mentioned before I know it's very hard that we haven't got an athlete in front of us yeah and also on this point before we go into it it's something that I spoke to I know I spoke to Jonas Stolio about it and a few others that when we're looking at movement and we're looking at speed development and all these things there's there's very much a lot involved especially within football and it'd be the same in tennis in terms of like insight and all that all that side of it as well so I know that can be worked on and it's not necessarily something we're going to really get into the weeds of right yeah. now. What I wanted to jump in with you is, is like I said, is your thought process when I've got an athlete in front of me who struggles to decelerate, like what are some of the yeah. factors that you're going to be looking at first and then how do we individualise? So that's kind of what I was going at. Yeah. I understand there's going to be certain things in the game, certain stimuli, stimuli that we've got to react to. That's a massive part of some of this stuff we're going to talk about, but we'll put that to one side yeah, for now. Yeah. Um, so a, couple, a few that I've brought up, the first one is that, so players, we'll talk about it a lot in, in football, we're, we're pressing, we're dropping into deceleration patterns, players struggle with it. So if you've had a player like that in a tennis context as well, what would be the sort of step-to-step process you'd go through, or even just the mindset you'd be going into? Yeah, so again, it's, it's taken time, we've got to a stage now where it's clear so one of the core core philosophies of tennis super movies is the integrated tennis shapes so we try and use the word shapes quite a bit so we've got your fundamental movement skills and then your fundamental movement shapes yeah so what we would typically see in the gym but also the shapes that underpin the skills so you've got the integrated tennis shapes at the center and then that surrounds observation communication and intervention so if we're observing and got an snc and a technical coach we're looking at it with a similar lens. I'm not looking at one specific thing and then you're looking at something completely different because then we're struggling. Mm. And then again, when it comes to communication, we've already talked about it, keep it simple. There's, there's no benefit whatsoever for me using physiological language with the coach and player. Yeah. I'm just gonna have to repeat myself anyway. So challenge yourself to be simple with your language, but also for us, we have different kind of ways that we hit the ball. So then you've got to make sure we're using the same language as well, what 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 are you going to name that move? Mm-hmm. Some name it a mogul, some name name it an open stance shuffle. Like you've got to be clear on that. And then when it comes to the intervention, which is kind of what we're talking about, we're very clear on what it is, whose responsibility it is, and then ideally, how long is that going to take? Yeah. So then that's that's your first bit. We're having a look. This player's struggling with X. Right. Well, at least let's tick those three three things. Then we drop down probably an exos thing that I've stolen, position, pattern, power transfer, where's the issue lying there from a position standpoint? Do they have the mobility? Do they have the isometric strength to actually hold it? Can they execute the pattern, squats, lunges, different movements? 
Can we move to power? Can we do sprint? Can we chain? Can we jump? Can we throw? Can we land? And then ultimately that's going to transfer to the field. Mm -hmm. And then another layer underneath that I've now created another one is have they got the competence, capacity, coordination, or even the confidence to do what we're asking them to do? Confidence standpoint, they're coming back from an ACL. I, I know I can jump on here, but I don't like that. You know, the kid who will not do the jump, yeah. they're just frozen like that. Massive, yeah. But which one, you know, which one is it? Is it competence, capacity, or coordination? What's the main one? And I think as SNC, they might drill down into the capacity quickly and not explore the coordination side. So we've got to make sure those three things are in place and making like back in my early doors, oh, I've got to refine that that squat pattern. You know, it's one out of five, so I'm not to spend forever coming up with correctives. No, grab hold of a TRX and just, just groove the pattern. Yeah. So where is it fitting in and all those sort of things. And then if it's a specific topic, deceleration, what are going to be like the underpinning qualities behind it? So dynamic, for decel, have they got dynamic balance? Um, have they got eccentric strength? Have they got power? Or have they got reactive strength? Mm. So I think when we can get to like, I love a schematic because then you can you can break down what's going on, mm -hmm. and then you can go right. Well, do we even work on that? What, what, do we ever fill that bucket, or do we overfill that one and not that one? So I think like when you can break things down into its core components, you can then go. Does that get trained enough? Are we training at the right time? Um, and then that just boils down to, to be able to come up with your answer. Yeah. Um, so deceleration is a topic. So much work done on acceleration making players fast and we, we just don't do enough on the brakes which effectively then equals injury yeah and then i would i mean you, you wrote the question i thought yeah it's not gonna be the best instagram post i can make your player really slow and stop <laughs> it's not as happy it's not as sexy is it but no. i'm sure we could spend five minutes now scrolling through insta we'll we'll see a loads of of, of speed and, and accel stuff and very little decel mm. um so it's just making sure i think for me, we, we do a lot of like plyos in different directions. I think because the, the, the sport requires that, we explore lots of different different directions. We'll use a lot of like stiff work. Yeah. Um, we jump in different directions. We use a lot of bounds. Um, something we've just started to explore now is, I think they call them like yielding. Mm -hmm. The plyos the plus guy, is it? Yeah. Um, and actually, if you look at your, your jump training, it's always a stiff landing. Mm. And even if there is like a bit of a rebound, it's always quite a short one. So we've kind of got now where it's like jump, sing, sing, and go okay. like that. So yeah. we're starting to have that in because that's gonna, for me, it's gonna help with that decel. It's gonna help with the loading of the shot. Mm. So I guess it's just ensuring for decel, those four key components, are they being worked? And are they being worked in, in multiple of different ways to, to prepare for the multi-directional nature of the sport. Now you see why I got him on to talk about this stuff. <laughs> no, it's it's great. I love I love the sort of thought process around it because I think I know it's really hard to be like we can't be so specific because yeah. like I said we've not got someone in front of us. But I, I think talking about all these factors and all these different areas is so so important. And it's it probably gets a little bit too simplified sometimes. Mm -hmm. Or oh, someone just needs more strength. Yeah. And it's like, well, okay, well, they might, but there's a lot of other factors that are going into it. So like, I knew this was coming and you talked about like cases and so like literally before this session, um, 
using like a change of direction drill that's also a fitness test. She, we, we did it, it's a guy called Chris Borthwick, it's seven seconds on, 20 seconds off, it's three changes of direction, we use the same leg every time. Mm -hmm. So we did 14 reps and she basically dropped off in the last three or four by one meter. So she's pretty good, but it wasn't that far. So I was like, right, today we're really gonna chase how far you can get within that seven seconds. So there's the target, bump, 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 nah, get nowhere near it, but no, get nowhere near it. I went, I video me. And then what I, I get my foot, my phone is out all the time. Mm -hmm. Like coaches who don't like getting the phone out, I think they're missing a massive trick. It's, it's never out of my pocket. Yeah. Um, it's, it's always out of my pocket. So. Right, video you, video me, let's watch it, what's different? And I, I knew what was going on, she's basically changing direction too tall. Mm. So I just screenshot quickly, whack it in the portrait, what's it called? You know, you can put different images on Instagram. Yeah. Um, put her next to me, right, what's the difference? Oh, let's look up, and then you've got, you've got, to, be, you've got to tell them what to look at, because it's yeah. obvious to us, we go, oh, that's obvious. Right, let's just look at the inside leg. So I've basically prepared it into a positive chin angle and everyone, right. Where's my foot pointing? Which one we want to go? Let's look at the trunk angle. All oh, right, you're more leaned over. Right, what what do we need to do to fix this? We need to prefer change of direction quicker. Mm -hmm. Just just be prepared. You could have waffled. We could have waffled on about all different things, but it was just like, what is the major difference? I look more ready than you. Try that, and within a few reps, better. Watch it before and after. Okay, we've made a bit of a change. Yeah, it's not to say that change now stays. You're gonna have to continue to work on it, but again. In that video time, you can kind of be having to think yourself as well. Because mm. sometimes you're not always going to know, but if you watch them, watch you, watch them, watch you, then you're like, all right, that. I'm going to keep going to delve down that. Like, what we're going to think about, prepare earlier. That's it. Yeah. And just back to that simplicity in communication. Yeah, I think that getting them involved in that decision process is massive as well, isn't it? Because straight away, as as physical people as athletes like they, they're going to come up with some sort of solution solution one way or another yeah. especially if they see a good example of it as well yeah. so i think that's that's really important and that's i with the demos like don't think your demo does enough because it i don't think it does no. i think you're better off just going video me mm. or have a, have a little cat you know have a little folder with demos in because you can do the perfect demo they're so used to seeing stuff on screen but at the same time you can freeze it and go look at that shit yeah look at that shit got it right but if you do the demo it could be perfect they could be looking at your foot when you want to look at your shoulder yeah yeah yeah, so yeah. It, it, it just breaks so many barriers and makes things so much quicker it's it well it's that speed as well isn't it because you your demo could is a few seconds and if they don't like you say if they're not picking up the you can positions. you can overemphasize yeah. it i mean I've had, I've had kids where it's like right look at my lower body what no i don't see it okay look at my shoes see it right mm. look right at that right foot now all oh, right yeah yeah you can't just assume that they'll get they'll say yeah they know yeah do you, do you get it do you understand yeah 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 and then you wonder why it takes 10 more minutes of failed reps before you get to where you want to get just, yeah just, just get it done that's like a detail on you want to change the direction as well yeah because i think one of the other ones is like a obviously a decel to like a change of direction yeah. Um, which is, I'm just trying to pick out just a few common ones that you'd see within a game, and I know this would also transfer quite yeah. nicely to tennis as well. Um, so yeah, decel into sort of a, a change of direction as well. Yeah, so we'll use a five or five. Mm -hmm. um, we either do it traditional ten, ten meters and back five, or they do it across the court slightly modified, like ten point nine seven meters. Um, so probably the key area there, look at the actual change of direction itself. Where should we go there? So the 
you can think about your feet. Uh, this is the line we're changing direction on. So depending where, this is the inside leg and that's the outside leg, depending on where that one is, we're gonna call it different things. So if it's coming back this way and the foot's here, and I've got a clear line of sight where I'm going, we're gonna call that positive. If we're here, then that's gonna be neutral. Mm -hmm. But if it's here, it's negative. Yeah. And that's the player that when you watch them, they change direction, they actually do a banana on the way back and actually try and take out the speaker, even yeah. though they're miles apart. You're like, oh, <laughs> everyone relates to that. Like. I've actually done that. Like, how do you actually manage? And that's what it boils down to is, yeah, is, is that change the direction. They'll, they'll basically block themselves off with the inside leg. Yeah. Two options you either move that leg out of the way or they go round it. They traditionally go round it, and either one makes them slower. So, all you do, use a wall like this and you place a cone probably 1.5 meters away, right? Run, change direction of the cone facing the wall. Yeah. Then you nudge, just keep nudging the cone in. And effectively, if they're going to go along this wall, change direction on the left leg and push back. If they do do a negative foot uh, placement, so they're going to be like this, they're going to smash into the wall. Yeah. Kids don't like smashing into walls, or athletes don't like smashing into walls. So it, 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 it tends to fix it. Yeah, and if that's not doing it, then I'll kind of reverse engineer it, I'll put them in the right position and say, look, can you feel it? Can you see it? Mm -hmm. Accelerate from there, right? Try and accelerate from there. Okay, go in the close, like the negative one. Oh yeah, that's why a banana. Mm. And I think the other thing we don't get kids to do, I've, I've stopped calling it one work, one rest. One works, one learns. Yeah. Because if yes. I coach that kid there to do X and then you do it, that's a waste of time. You could learn from them in terms of my coaching, but also we know from a neural standpoint, they're going to get mirror reps. So yeah. they're watching the other kid and what we'll do. Um, so we've got a Thursday session. It's a massive session, loads of kids, two of us. And what we do, we just use the court, we've got different stations set up and one will have some form of timing. And basically everybody that's not doing the drill are forced to look mm. and watch. And then when a quick time goes up, they go, ah, right. Or a slow time goes up, you can go look and tell, ah, oh, right, I can see it now, I can yeah. see it. See why? Yeah, so you've, yeah. Got, you've got to maximise your coaching time and effectively get them to do their own coaching. Yeah, There's yeah, nothing yeah. better when they come off a change of direction, like, ah, wrong position. Mm -hmm. and like, yes, they now feel it. Yeah. And you don't want to always give them the answer. Can they feel it? Can they see it? Can you video it? Can they watch others? Give as many opportunities for them to try and solve the answer. I was in Switzerland and one of the guys, uh, brother was a teacher and he said when I give them the answer I've took away their opportunity to learn mm, so, so true. it's a tough thing when you're coaching not to give the answer in fact it's, it's, it's very difficult but there's a lot more value in them like struggling to find the answer well a lot of the time it's setting up opportunities to learn isn't it so it, that's where and that's why I love your stuff is because I feel like you constantly just create environments where athletes are essentially peer learning, teaching themselves, like they're learning through doing, aren't they? Yeah. And it's not overly complicated with the coaching and stuff because it doesn't need to be. No. Like a lot of the, already the, a lot of the um, examples you'd give are gonna teach players like just through the, doing the drill, aren't they? Just yeah. repeating it and knowing that they're gonna get better. And then that, I, that's where I love all the video side of it as well, because I think that's so important and definitely something that doesn't get utilized enough. And the other thing for people listening or, or watching is at clubs, you've got whole analysis yeah. departments that will help with this sort of thing. Like it's not, if we need to take iPhones out and, and do that sort of thing, we can, but coaches, are, there's analysts doing recordings and yeah. sessions all the time, so it can definitely be 
definitely be utilised more. Yeah, um, break down the barrier of like being allowed to have your phone out. Jack was like, yeah, we never really got our phone out. It was at Liverpool, we're not, we weren't supposed to have our phones out, but the kids mm. weren't supposed to, so mm. then we didn't. Yeah. And I'm like, nah, definitely not. That's how they learn, isn't it? <laughs> and it's like, not shame, is it? Like, like oh, did a post the other day, right, watch that, you see it? Yeah. Done. Yeah. Or I've already got a video on that. There you go. Yeah. I've just saved three, four minutes of doing the demo and explaining it. Right, can you see that? Can you see how I do that? Yeah, away you go. Mm. It just saves so much time, get more done. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. The, the only other one I wrote down was um, struggling to change direction on the move. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be one a lot of the time. And this is where it gets a little bit more contextual for football. Yeah. Because obviously a lot of the sort of change direction work will be done on the move, like different positions, there's loads of research coming out now, though you mentioned Damon Harper already, like some of those guys are doing some incredible work on actually where players are producing speed from and different positions. So with that in mind, like would there be anything you'd add to what you've already added? Yeah, so if I use tennis as a specific example, so we talked about like the integrated tennis shapes and the like probably the, we have levels. So you've got your fundamentals, can they lunge, can they squat? Because Coach is going to gravitate to the racket work. Mm. Got to respect body work and footwork, and within like super moves, you like draw lines. It's not biomechanics. Just can they create that? Like that's not good. Yeah, that's better. Yeah, that lower body position in terms of pushing off is better. So the next level of the integrated tennis shapes is then really on court. So that triangular shape that we see a lot in terms of you know you see in the American football people doing analysis. So like, are we in a position to ready to move? Mm. Then when we, like, well, I'll do tennis, so are we, are we ready to move? Triangle position, level head. Can we then create that positive shin angle to start the move? Can we actually decelerate? Mm. Or can we create that deceleration position here? We, for our change of direction on the move, it is then preceded by a shot. So we always end up with some form of follow through that we can push off from. Yeah. So that's the, the nuance of tennis where our change of that is preceded by the shots. We always get this kind of cut, cut moment. Mm-hmm. When the guy, I guess with you guys, if it's movement off the ball, they're gonna have to pre-think about it a little bit. Mm-hmm. But it, it's kind of chicken and egg for our guys, because if I get them to trying to get the body into a better position to recover from, there's a good chance it could end up with more spit pace on the ball as well. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose where that crosses over is, yours is, um, eventually going to end up in a shot. A lot of the time, the players would end up in a sprint, yeah, or a jump or yeah. something like that. So it's still creating that force, probably just in a slightly in, in a different way. And it's how that's that initiation of the movement. So for our, we try and initiate movement with what we call a split step. Yeah, I don't know if you guys would use a different term, but effectively, this is this is the racket. This is the ball just before contact there. The player should go up in an upwards momentum and then they can pick up with up and stay away from perception but they're gonna be, am i going to move to my forehand or my backhand and to, and to what level of emergency am i going to have to do that they could then either land even mm. and just push off into a shuffle across or they'll land uneven mm. so we can go straight into a positive shin angle almost like a like a, can call it a gravity step so there's your base of support if i land with my foot underneath my base of my support I, then I shoot off. Yeah. So I think for, for you guys, it'd probably, I, I don't know, it'd be a bit of coming, it'd be that, that initiation. How do you initiate? How do you perceive? And then you could do your own type of split step to kind of evade and then push off. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of it, but that, that would be it. Yeah, it, 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 it. 
foot uh, cut keepers. Yeah, keepers yeah. do tennis movement. They split. They do a split yeah, step. 100%. So that's there's a lot of transferring stuff we do in our lateral movement to goalkeeping. So I guess in, as an outfielder, it would be what is that? How how are you processing the information? How are you anticipating? How do you initiate the push off to then evade? Mate, it's brilliant. Such good information. I just want to know when uh, football super movies is coming. That's that's yeah. It's, with it's, all this free time that you've not got. Yeah, yeah I've got <laughs> zero free time. But yeah, no, we've talked about it. Yeah, it's it's been discussed. Um, whether we get round to it in the next uh, <laughs> decade or not, I don't know. But yeah. No, I think I think there's so much value in in that, and and I really appreciate you going into that because I know it can be hard, like like I say, without having people in front of us. But I think there's, there's there are a lot of crossovers with with the two different sports. We always finish these podcasts with some quick fires. Okay. I didn't say. Yeah, I didn't know this. No. no. So I've just dropped this on you. Um, but not as not as technical okay, as, okay. as what we spoke about already. So I, I always ask about your influences. Yeah. So if it's if it's to say who are some of the biggest biggest influences on your career so far, what would be some of the names that would jump out to you? I like Cressy. Yeah. Um, I've got I've got a shout out Chris McLeod. Massively got to shout him out. He was he was the head of S and C at the LTA. I think we've got similar brains. Very creative. But what he's done, what he did in his time, is like he's he's gone now. He's gone back to the IS. He's, he's produced frameworks and I think mm -hmm. from my discussions there and, and then the ability to talk about case studies because you've got this system to go through yeah right, I'm gonna pass it through that filter and then that filter and that filter and then that's the answer because so yeah I'm, I'm drifting but yeah can I I'll, I'll have conversations with the player right about the week of tournaments how do we make you win more or harder to beat and I can listen and go right well it's probably this I've been doing the sport 10 years so that it's a bit easier but I run it through a filter in my head and go, all right, let's experiment that. Mm. And the player will feel it. All oh, right, yeah. So I, th I think that, that that's helped. Uh, an older guy, a tennis coach, um, Keith Reynolds, he's, he's like 70 odd. He's just like tennis yoda. He's unbelievable. He still skips, he swims in his pond. Um, <laughs> Brilliant. He, he said, oh, God, I'm suffering with arthritis, but it's really improved my contact point because it hurts if I don't hit the sweet spot. <laughs> Simon Brundish to force me into. Um, you know, coming up with a system and it being structured and Darren Roberts just again, both ex-military, both got similar mindsets of this openness, but again, he works with action sport athletes, but if you're drilling down onto why he's doing it five times, he'll answer. So yeah. I think they're, they're probably the top guys. Brilliant. I'm pretty sure you've probably answered this question before I actually ask it, but what would you say your biggest strength is as a practitioner? Yeah. Willingness to be creative. And definitely over time, not take myself too seriously. Mm. Especially with like the slightly older ones. Um, I've, got, I've got to like, there's definitely gotta be this barrier between me and you. I am the coach and you are the athlete. And yeah. there's always a massive barrier between us of, no, and I think now I'm a lot more relaxed. I think that comes from, I, get the, I am fortunate to have to work with seven year olds and be an idiot. And then as I go older, I just, Keep being a bit of an idiot and just don't take yourself too seriously. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. And if we were to take you back or let you have a chat with the Howard that's just come out of the Marines, getting into SNC, being exposed to your first few athletes, what would be your top bit of a career advice for Howard back then? Yeah, just, I mean, probably go back to them philosophies 
that I've talked about, like make sure you're clear, context is king. Um, <laughs> everyone has it, everyone has imposter syndrome, so it's hard, I mean, regardless of your level. Um, it's okay to not know everything, mm. just absolutely be consistent and nail the things you are confident on. Like, that's what I know, that's why I've been employed. You know, I, I got to work with a world number one after five years of tennis and SNC. Just back yourself on what, what you've been employed for. Mm. If they've employed you for a reason, just, just, just hammer those. And you're always gonna be improving and chipping away, but just stick to the things you're happy with. I'm confident with those five things, I'm just gonna drive those home and I'll work on the other five mm. as I progress through my career. It's gonna be a long career. Yeah, I'm interested in this one because I always ask around CPD yeah. and your kind of approach to CPD and continually progressing. And just before we started recording the podcast, I saw you having a conversation with, a, am guessing, a coach downstairs about different techniques and yeah, stuff. So yeah. I'm guessing you're always learning, you're always taking up these opportunities. But if, if you were to sort of define your approach to CPD, not necessarily courses, but how do you, how do you go about just continually progressing? I think the key one is like speed of application because of that feeling of imposter syndrome and coming into it maybe a little bit later and, and maybe being in a full-time role as a head of SNC with the grand total of 12 months, it forced me and I probably paid for a lot of Brendan Chaplin's holidays. <laughs> I was literally in Leeds most months seeing Vern Gambetta, Dan Baker, um, Dan John, probably did it too much yeah to the point where i mean there's i talked about cressy already you know don't spend a fortune going to cpd this weekend get home sunday night rip up your methodology and then confuse all your clients <laughs> athletes monday morning it's about small tweaks but i think i did so much cpd i didn't give myself time to go right i've done that cpd and for the next 12 weeks i'm going to apply it mm. review it and go right that i like that don't like that, that worked and that didn't work. So I think it was that constantly looking to the horizon for validation of, well, I'll be better when I buy that book, when I do that online course, when I go and do that workshop, then I'll be in the essence, a good essence. Mm. And it, I'm still battling myself now to just, the courses I've already got, the books I've already got, and pe like, right, just, just slowly tweak things, don't overhaul it in a wanna. That's probably the big one. Take your time, don't, don't, Go and see Brent. Don't go to Leeds every week. <laughs> Spend all your, all your money. Um, How's that changed now, though? So you said, like, back then, taking all this information. And I, and I think there's probably two ways you could argue with that, isn't there? Because we need some exposure, but then you're right. At the same time, you can constantly get things and just end up confusing yourself. Yeah. But, like, right now, day-to-day -day now, yeah. what would be the difference and the main approach now? With the, with the knowledge that you've got and the experience yeah. you've got as well. Yeah, so... It, <laughs> It's kind of been forced upon me, and probably this would be the challenge to people, is like, write your book. Yeah. I'm not writing a book, I'm, but I'm producing a lot of webinars for somebody else. So, okay, I'm gonna do a webinar on this topic. So you, I won't lie, I'm referring to journals, going mm -hmm. back into books, I'm going back into my notes. And you put this one out and you're like, oh, it's pretty solid now. Mm -hmm. So for, like, force yourself. You maybe don't even need to show it anyone, but like, you know, right, I need to have a chapter on speed and agility, on strength development, on you know conditioning, and just consolidate your thoughts. And if you couldn't condense it into maybe a one pager on each topic to give somebody else, 
because that's my challenge. I want to create that Arsenal World Class Academy document. Yeah. And if an intern comes in or we get a place from Liverpool, John Moores, right, just have a quick read through that. That's our that's our thought process right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, create that. Just create that little document where it's this is my philosophy, you know, I took the time to think about it. This is how I go about playing it, power pieces, passing transfer, what does that look like? Right. Even it's just like a, you know, you've got your schematics of agility and all that sort of stuff in there, but you can just hand it on and go, that's my brain yeah. right now. That's okay. probably the way to do it. I love that. Great advice. Hey, I absolutely love it. I think there's some absolute gold in that episode, so I really appreciate you doing it. Um, in terms of people following your work, I've made a little note. You know, Instagram is Howard, Howard Green Supermovers, is that right? Yeah. Um, and Twitter, HG Supermovers. I think that's right, yeah. Um, so go and go and check out our work because you'll you'll take absolutely loads from it. I think we've t- we've touched on a very small amount of what you actually put out there, and and, and also thank you for the, the stuff that you share because I think some coaches that are doing similar work to you at like these top levels don't share as much as yeah. what they probably should, and you do. Um, and I know there's always more that you can do in yeah. all the rest of it, and I know it's hard on time, but like from me, thank you because like. It's, it's not easy at all no all stuff out there so managing that lone wolf syndrome isn't it where you're just grafting day in day out yeah you can get in a bad headspace mentally in that space like me and darren recently talked about like that day to day and how much pressure's on you i think what differentiates us from technical coaches and this is not bad against them not only do you want to make them better you want to look after them a bit yeah so if somebody gets injured you take it so personal yeah that's true so i think as an snc that's, that's a slight difference is that looking after them at the same time and managing the load and all that sort of stuff it's not that the technical coach occurs any leap any less but if they do get injured who they're looking at not the technical coach it's like oh why have they got injured yeah. or when you're going to get it sorted how quick you're going to get them back so i think there's that added pressure as a necessity yeah 100 percent, mate thank you Thank you to Howard for coming on the podcast. It was great to catch up with him. It was actually really, really nice to do an in-person podcast. It's been a very long time since I did that. I can't actually remember the last one. It might have been Paul Comfort, possibly, maybe in the first one we did with Paul. Um, So it's been a very long time since I've actually done an in-person one, and I do really enjoy doing them. Much better than the Zoom, but obviously, in terms of accessibility, um, going forward, we will try and do a mix of some in-person and the Zoom ones as well. But yeah, huge thank you to Howard for coming on. Go and give Howard a follow. He does some incredible work, like I mentioned on the podcast. We've only sort of skimmed uh, the surface of the work that he does. But go and check him out. Howard Green Supermovers on Instagram and HG Supermovers over on Twitter. Um, Go and give him a follow, engage with him and let him know what you thought of the podcast. Give him a little bit of feedback and also share the episode and tag us both in it. We're at FootballFitFed. Loads of takeaways, as always, from me on the podcast. Um, I think some of it was the similarities between the sports and not just in terms of the way we're preparing athletes, but when he was talking about the um, real talent of coaches coming through at academy level, and that's where you can make the the real um, developments with players and the real quality of coaches being needed at those lower ages. I think that's something we've touched on before. And then the other thing that stood out for me is when he was talking about putting putting players through drills that 
one player's working, the other is resting, but he's not talking about it like that. He's talking about it that one works and one learns. So you're creating this environment of athletes learning from one another, coming up with solutions. I absolutely love the way he talked about um, using video as well for athletes. I think there's absolutely loads in that and I hope you took plenty away from the podcast as well. So as always, please give it a share. If you haven't done so already, head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review with a short comment. If you do leave us a review, send us a screenshot over on uh, social media at footballfitfed or you can email it to mail at footballfitfed.com and I'll send you out a little thank you, um, a free ebook if you do that. So just screenshot it, send it over and I will reply um, to your email or message with a free copy of one of our ebooks just as a thank you. So please go and do that. It would be great to get a few more reviews on there. And again, thank you for listening. Thanks to Howard for giving up his time. And I will speak to you again next week in episode 213.